Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. If you're wondering why it's taking me so long to read this book, well, you're welcome. I came back. A lot of things I could have done, but I decided to do this. (sighs) Honestly, um... I was just waiting because I had a lot of stuff going on uh, between catering on Valentine's Day week and all that kind of stuff. And I was trying to prep and plan and make sure I had the clients and had all the food and everything. And I really like reading this book to my wife because she's the one who fucking chose the book. So, but, you know, I have to keep going and she's at work now. So I'm going to read it and she's going to hear it. I love you, boo. I think you're incredible. I think you're doing an amazing job. And I am so fucking proud of you. Like, every minute of every hour of every day. A beautiful woman came up to me. This is how I know I'm I'm old and I'm strong. (laughs) A beautiful woman came up to me while I was getting a sandwich at uh, Safeway. A couple weeks back, like last week. Y'all don't fucking care. It's an evergreen show. But... Uh, she came up to me last week while I was getting a sandwich. And, and the pretzels, baby. The pretzels that you like. Dots pretzels, for those of y'all who are wondering. Uh, they got cinnamon and sugar on them. They're fucking incredible. But she comes up to me while I'm ordering a sandwich. And she's like, it is so cold in here. She's just looking up. And I look over at her. She's waiting in line for her order. And I look over at her. And she, she smiles. And we smile at one another. Um... And she comes over to me and we start talking and she's like, it's so cold in here. It's like, I, is it, is it just me? Are you cold? And I was like, no, no, I'm not cold. Uh, my beloved wife bought me a jacket that has a heater in it, which she did. Um, and then I realized she doesn't know that I call Nisha, my beloved wife, every fucking where I go, every time I talk about her. Um, so I'm sitting here wondering, does she think I'm trying to explain to her that I'm married? I'm not. I'm just like my beloved wife, Nisha, bought me this jacket and it's really dope. And I was like, I sounded like a, a, a lady when you ask her, when you just say she has a nice dress, she's like, it has pockets. I'm like, it has a heater right here on the back of the neck and a heater all the way up the back and then heaters right here on the sides. And it's really great. And she was like, I'd fall asleep at the hospital. And I was like, my wife is a nurse. I'm just so proud of my wife. I can't stop talking about her. I can't stop thinking about her.
This book is for her. <sighs> it ain't for me, though. Shit. Chapter 6. Alani sat on her hands and knees, scrubbing, gripping the bristle brush so hard that her knuckles hurt as she tried to clean the blood stains out of her wooden floor. Her bloodshot eyes burned as she swiped the tears with the back of her wrists. She had been crying for days. Her brother and beautiful daughter were dead. She felt like she was drowning, trying to inhale air in a pool of water, and the slow suffocation was torture. Alani, let me help you, baby. You need to sleep. The voice behind her belonged to her aunt, Nanny. Let me find out this is, well, I know this is uh, Lucas's sister and the mom to the baby that died. But let me find out that Nanny is the old black woman that uh, Ethic didn't kill because, you know, he has Ethic. Um, and that she's an old black woman named Nanny. Okay. You know, old black woman who watches kids named Nanny. No? No? She probably cooks too and cleans. Named Nanny. Matter of fact, Alani, let me help you clean, baby, because my name is Nanny. Normally, the soft alto filled with wisdom and strength was soothing to her. But today, it was like nails on a chalkboard. She was irritated, taking her anger out on everyone around her as she mourned the loss of Lucas and her dear Kenzie. Sleep won't come, Nanny. Talking to Nanny, I just feel like the voice should be like this. Sleep won't come, Nanny. Swing low. Sleep won't come, Nanny, she whispered. So I might as well be doing something. She scrubbed harder and harder, getting so much elbow grease she was breaking a sweat. This blood just won't come out, she shouted. Like, literally, that's... that's this blood just won't come out she shouted she bowed her head and sobbed she cried why is this happening god my baby is gone i told lucas that all his bullshit was gonna catch up with him he was out here selling dope and throwing every dollar he made in the face of every broke nigga in town he was living foul and it was only a matter of time before something went wrong but that was his chance to take. It was his life. How did his karma come back on me? On Kenzie? Nigga, where were you? Why are you letting your daughter be around a known drug dealer? Like, why is he babysitting your daughter? He deals the dope and you've done told him that his life is foul. So why is he the one watching your daughter? That should be a negatory. Hey, you want me to fuck you? No, dope boy. <laughs> or as um, Meteor Man says it. Get the fuck away from me, dope boy. No, um, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't dope boy. And he doesn't say get the fuck away from me because it's a, it's a PG-13 movie. Uh, he says, get off me, crack boy. Hey, you want me to watch kids? Get off me, crack boy. <laughs> Drug dealing people. I have standards. Like, no, you, you let this nigga watch your daughter and this is what happened. Like, I'm sorry, but at the same time, I'm not. Like, if my brother dealt dope, you know who wouldn't be in this house? Me and my kids. I'm not going to call the cops on him because I ain't no snitch, but I ain't going over there. I might ask him to sponsor my AAU team, though, because, you know, like, you got money. Like, shit, why don't you go ahead and pay off our travel and shit? Be like Nino Brown up in this bitch. But what you ain't going to do is come to a practice. You ain't going to be there. And you ain't going to be watching my kids while I go to work. Mm-mm. 
How did his karma come back on me? On Kinsey, she wailed. Confusion and grief caused her to double over. Her emotions were causing her physical pain. She could barely inhale it hurt so badly. Alani just wanted to die because it would be much easier than being the only one left behind mourning, you know, other than Nanny. It's only by the grace of God that I didn't get shot that night, Nanny said as she sat down on the floor in front of Alani and grabbed the brush from Alani's hands. You could have said her hands. She began to scrub at the wood floor. I know it hurts, baby, but I'm going to love on you through the hurt. I'm right here with you. I've been with you since the day you were born. And as long as I live and breathe, you will always be okay. These are dark days, Alani. But there's always a light ahead. Keep your faith in God, Nanny said. What kind of God allows a three-year-old girl to be murdered while she sleeps? Huh? That's no God I trust. You know, it's, 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 it's strange you would ask that question. Because God has an answer. He's the kind of God who gives you the wisdom to not let your baby be in the arms of a drug dealer. Have you not listened to uh, Notorious B.I.G., Life After Death? Uh, who else? Who else is shot at a drug dealer and they turn around holding their daughter? Like, no, never. Didn't think it could happen. Nigga turned around holding his daughter. Squeeze off seven shots, nothing harder. Nigga turned around holding his daughter. Like, no. Okay, fine. You may worship that type of guy, but I won't. I can't, Alani said as she stood and stormed out of the house, snatching her purse up on the way out. She paused midway as she descended the steps. Her aunt was the only person she had left. She had never raised her voice at her. Guilt caused her to backtrack her steps and she went back inside. I'm sorry, Nanny, Alani said as she watched her aunt pick up the bucket and brush from the floor. I know. It's not all on you, though, Alani. I love them, too. I feel it, too. Ain't no point in us feeling it alone. We need one another to get through this. I just, I just want to be here for you, baby, Nanny said. Yes, I'm going to give her that voice the whole time because you named a black woman an old black woman, Nanny. Like, shame on you. Busting up the shit for old nanny, like, like loose socks, Tom and Jerry, never see her face, nanny. You know, the only other person we never saw the face of was a white woman in Muppet Babies. Alani nodded as she teared up. She hated the way her emotions came in waves. It was up, then down. One minute she was mentally coaching herself to find strength. And the next, she felt like the world had ended. She would never be able to make it through the planning of two funeral services. Have you seen the life insurance policy? She asked. Nanny looked at her sympathetically. It's in your hand, she replied. Alani looked down as if someone else gripped the folder. I'm losing it, she whispered. Don't be so hard on yourself. You want me to come with you to the funeral parlor? I'll be there soon because I'm an old black woman and for some reason that guy didn't shoot me when he shot everybody else. I'm going to probably see him somewhere and be able to point him out to you. Alani shook her head. No, I have to do this myself, Alani said, shaking her head. Seeing her daughter's body under the white sheet of the morgue had been one of the hardest things she had ever done. It was an image she would never forget. She was a mother burying her child. Nothing about that was right. And she didn't need anyone witnessing her breakdowns. She was trying her hardest to keep her composure, to only fall to her knees behind the safety of closed doors, and to stifle her wells at night, face and pillow. 
Is it pillow or pillow? Like, I know, it's P-I, so how would it be P-E? But fuck you. She couldn't let just anyone see the type of grief she was going through because it was teetering on the edge of crazy. She rushed out and jumped into her raggedy Pontiac G6. The car was so old, they didn't even make the model anymore. The reason she had even left her daughter in Lucas's care was so she could pick up overtime hours to be able to save up money for on a pretty little Jeep she had been dreaming about. It all seemed so selfish now, so pointless. You should have just left her with Nanny. She was worried about people in the city judging her, laughing at her for driving a bucket car and had lost time with her little girl, chasing material things. She had left Kenzie with Lucas plenty of times before, always so she could work, but now she questioned if she was working to take care of her daughter or if the motive had truly been superficial. She had never thought it would result in such a tragedy. I'm to blame for all of this, she thought. I should have moved Lucas out of Flint way before the streets got a hold of him. And I never should have left Kenzie with him. What was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Alani had tried hard to never judge her brother, but not once had she taken a dime of his ill-gotten money. She had watched him slink lower and lower into the bowels of the city's underworld. I should have done more to stop it. Look what's happened because I sat around and did nothing at all, she thought. Her thoughts haunted her all the way to the funeral home. Even the sky seemed to be crying. As she stepped out into the rain, holding a copy of Essence magazine over her head to stop her fresh wrap from turning into a full-blown afro. By the time she made it inside, she was soaked. Her hair started to fright her fresh press, reverting to her natural curls slightly. She huffed as she took the hair tie she wore around her wrist and used it to pull her hair into a high ponytail. She caught a glimpse of herself in the mirror in the reception area. Her puffy eyes and red nose were evidence of the sleepless nights she had endured. She wore her melancholy all over her. Even her skin had lost its vibrant glow. Alani couldn't even imagine ever feeling true happiness again. Not as a childless mother. How was she supposed to forget about the little girl that had grown in her womb? Surely she couldn't be expected to act as if she didn't know what it felt like to have two hearts beat at the same time. Two hearts beating as one. White song I hear in the background. I'd never looked it up on Spotify. Dun, 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 dun. Her auntie's name is Nanny. She probably taught like this. You're at the funeral home, that's a bitch. Alani felt like she had been given interest into an exclusive club, only to, suddenly, be kicked out. Her motherhood had been stripped, violently, from her. Her legs weakened slightly, as she suddenly had the urge to run back out into the rain. Ma'am, are you Miss Hill? Alani turned to find that the voice belonged to a black woman with sympathetic eyes. Alani could tell that it was a look that she supplied out of habit. The woman was in the business of burying people, of preparing the final goodbyes of the dead. She had rehearsed that compassionate stare long and hard. Alani could see the contrived kindness was nothing more than a job requirement. It was as common as a uniform or an ID badge. Alani wanted to slap the false sadness from the woman's face. She was so angry these days. Anger than she had ever been. She needed someone to blame. Without someone to take this hurt out on, it was eating her alive from the inside out. 
I'm here to begin arrangements for my daughter and brother, she whispered. They were brought here last night. Nigga, you talking like you done lived like five or six days with these two being dead. It's been a night. You ain't even asked Nanny how she felt when the nigga pulled a gun on her. You're just mad at everybody. But you're talking about sleepless nights. Sleepless nights. You said sleepless nights. Her puffy eyes and red nose were evidence of the sleepless nights she had endured. Nigga, this was last night. Last night. Your brother and your child got murdered. Ow, ow. I tried to call, but you were doing overtime. Why is your voice deep, Nanny Annie? And I'm sitting here with this blank expression. My daughter just got murdered now and the way I feel. It's like you just lost a child. Why don't you come to my funeral home? Here is my number. Call me up. I'll get you situated. My job is a scam. These boxes are expensive. You just cremate. I didn't say that out loud. One night, not sleepless nights. Sorry. Mm. Of course, we've been expecting you. Did you bring the insurance information? The woman asked. Alani went into her bag and handed it over. It's, it's not a lot. I have 10000 on each of them, she began to explain. Don't worry, that's plenty. We'll work within your budget, the woman explained. Come into our showroom. I'll introduce you to James. He'll be your coordinator. I'll go contact your insurance company while he gets you started with arrangements. Alani nodded as she was led through a double door where a man was waiting for her. She stepped over the threshold into what seemed like a world of flowers and caskets. Alani... This the owner, James Masters. I'm going to handle the paperwork. He'll take good care of you. You're in good hands, the woman said. That you are, he said. Alani took in his expensive suit, fake smile and his greasy hair. His brown skin matched hers, but it was a shade richer, which let her know he wasn't from where she was from. He was the type of person who built his business in the hood, but wouldn't dare live there. He was getting rich based on the deaths, often murders of black people, and Alani wasn't naive to the fact. Message. Let's sit, he offered, as he grabbed a book from atop one of the fancy caskets and took a seat beside her. They flipped through the options, and Alani felt the instant intimidation from the prices. It seemed like even the simplest details were $1,000 and up. She went through the book not even eyeing the makes of the caskets or the type of flowers, but noticing the prices. Her heart was full of angst. She never knew it was so expensive to put a loved one to rest. I can't afford any of this. Even with insurance, she thought, dismayed. She wanted to do her brother and daughter justice and tears pulled in her eyes. Look, black people, people, period, whatever. I don't give a fuck. I need to let y'all know getting your folks into a into an expensive ass casket ain't justice. Doing them well at a funeral ain't justice. Paying money for a big ass church ain't justice. It's stupid. It's the same way you pay a lot of money for a wedding when there's a justice of the peace right up the block. You ain't got to do it. You ain't. You're, I'm, I'm not saying like don't claim the body or nothing like that so they just John Doe them but there's cheaper ways to do a funeral there are you could literally just do a memorial at your house 
You can get them cremated, which does cost a little bit, but it doesn't cost as much as the casket, the interment, the burial ground, the church, the fucking pastor. Pastors charge by the hour and then preach for four. It's not worth it. I'm just saying. You want the best for your daughter. This rose gold pink aluminum casket is a great option. It'll never decay. It'll withstand the elements well. I have mothers coming here and all they're thinking about is getting changed from that insurance policy. But I know a good mother when I see one. This is perfect for your angel, James said. She looked at him, her lip trembling. He was selling her hard, his voice full of awe as if he were peddling her a brand new car instead of a box that would go on the ground filled with her most precious possession in the world because she didn't get the Jeep. She was overly emotional. Her hands shook as she turned the pages, desperately hoping that the next page would reveal something, anything that was within her range. It was costing her more to bury her daughter than it had to birth her. Death was more expensive than life, and this man was too eager, too pushy. He held no remorse, no timidity about broaching the sensitive subject. Of course, ethic is paid for all of this shit in advance. This man had no shame about measuring her love for her kid based on what she chose out of this high-ass book. Alani felt like a failure. The woman from before, the wearer of the fake smile, knocked on the door softly before peeking her head inside the room. Miss Hill, can I speak with you for a moment? She said. Alani was grateful to be tapped out of the ring. She stood to her feet, finally having the excuse to run from the room. As she stepped into the hall, the woman's expression caused Alani to frown. Your insurance company says the policy is lapsed. You don't have a current life insurance policy. Is there another policy, perhaps, at home? The woman asked. What do you mean? I pay this policy every month, Alani whispered, her face heating with disappointment. I'm only delivering the information as it was told to me, the woman replied. She handed Alani the documents back. You can call them to find out more. Can you take a loan from a bank or a family member in the meantime to cover the burial expenses? Alani snatched the papers out of the woman's hands. There's no one. It's just me. It's always on me. She mumbled those last words as she gathered her shame. I need to call about the policy. I'll be back. I mean, it's not just you. Your brother got a whole bunch of dope, dope money somewhere in his house. Somewhere. Like, just look. The rain welcomed her back. This time, she was grateful for it. It mixed with her tears, helping her hide her torment as she rushed back to her car. She pulled out her phone. But as she went to dial the number on the rain stamped papers, she heard the automated voice echo in her ear. Please contact AT&T about your account. Alani tossed the phone at the dashboard, a frustration mounted, and she gripped the steering wheel in ire. Nothing ever could be easy. Every day was always one big struggle. I mean, every day is a winding road. You get a little bit closer. Every day is a fading sign. But you get a little bit closer to feeling fine. She was always behind, always robbing Peter to pay Paul, always playing catch-up. She had managed over the years. She had always been able to make the pieces to the puzzle fit. Sure, things were paid late, but they were always paid. This time, she didn't know if she'd be able to pull it off. 
Her mind wasn't even in the right state for her to think of how to make the impossible possible. Right now, she just wanted to have a hall pass, not to cheat, but to cry. It seemed black women were never given that luxury of emotional release. Her mind was submerged in grief, and that blocked all logical thought. All she knew was that she didn't have the money she needed, and the fact that her daughter and brother were lying on a cold slab waiting for her to come to the rescue was damaging to her soul. She had always been their nurturer, their problem solver, and now she felt useless. She found her car key and went to turn over the ignition. The sound of it revving and then stalling caused her to laugh. Of course, she said in disbelief. Her car wasn't starting. When it rains, it fucking pours. Yep, I feel that. When it rains, niggas get wet. She exited the car. Her embarrassment kept her from going back inside, so she trekked through a rain across the street to the diner on the corner. She wasn't reminded that she hadn't eaten until the smell of bacon caused her stomach to growl as she stepped inside. She sat at the bar and motioned to the waitress, serving the early morning patrons. Is there a phone I can use? My car is stalled across the street. I need to call a tow, she said. You gotta buy something first, the waitress replied. That's fucked up. That's fine, Alani said. She looked up at the sign, $3.99 breakfast special. She needed every little dollar at this point. Yes, that was a comma. The $4 she was about to spend on one breakfast could buy her a whole pack of bacon that she could eat on all week. Ha, 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 the good old days. Whoo. But her stomach urged her to feed it. Four dollars ain't gonna make a difference, she thought. I'll take the special and a phone, she said, her testy tone causing the woman to roll her eyes. She handed over the old school phone, stretching the Crowley cord to the max so Alani could use it. Bitch is gonna spit in my food, Alani thought as she took the receiver, wishing she had been a bit nicer with her tone. A good breakfast would stop her stomach from touching her back and ease the sick feelings that had lived within her since finding out about the deaths of her loved ones. Or so she hoped. She hooked up the Wi-Fi and searched for the closest company. The waitress sat down her food as she ordered the tow. Alani eyed the food suspiciously, opting out of eating as she placed exactly $4 on the countertop before heading out into the rain. If you're hungry, you done worse than eat spit. I mean, if you can't see it, and if you think you see it, then you complain to the manager and things will be all gravity. But if you're hungry and you can't see it, then you're taking yourself out of a meal based on something that's not even there. And if you think the bitch spit in your grits, mix them motherfuckers up till you can't see it, add some salt, pepper, and butter, and eat. How hungry are you, really? Let's talk about hunger. Like if you're so hungry, your stomach is talking to you, and you have food in front of you, but you are just choring your head that she's spitting your food so you ain't gonna eat it, you're a fool. You just wasted your money. How hungry are you? Because I'm not going to let my mind convince myself that somebody's spitting my food. If I see them spit my food, then they spit in my food. If I find out they spit my food, hands will be delivered post haste. Door dash. But, door smash. But, what I'm not going to do is not eat because she might have. 
There's a lot of miters that'll stop your whole life from moving forward. You gotta stop that. Ethic's hands were covered in motor oil as he installed the carburetor into an old school Buick Regal. He had to focus on something, on anything, to stop himself from thinking about the little girl's life he had taken. Albeit, it had been a mistake. Those type of slip-ups were ones that didn't go without fault. Someone had to shoulder the blame for the loss of life. The world was filled with pimps and hoes. We'll just talk about those I know. Sorry. The world was filled with enough evil. He had taken one of the good ones, and now his soul was unbalanced. His spirit was disturbed, and nothing but busy work could keep him from losing it. I mean, and doing some fucking reconnaissance work, like looking through a window. I don't know. One of his many investments over the years had been a distribution trucking company and a string of automotive shops around the state of Michigan. Ain't that a dink? It was rare that the boss came in to get his hands dirty, but today he needed to do something, anything to keep his thoughts from haunting him. Rebuilding the beautiful American-made machine was like putting a puzzle together. It took all his concentration, and he often blocked out everything around him until the entire picture was complete. He had salvaged the car from the junkyard years ago, and he was putting it together piece by piece. We got one coming in, he heard one of his workers shout out, and he lifted his head as he noticed a tow truck pull in front of his berth. Hmm. His gut wrenched when he saw her step out of the passenger seat of the tow truck. He instantly recognized her. How, nigga? She wasn't there. How do you recognize her? If she kept herself out of the drug life, how do you recognize her? I'm, I'm sure you're going to explain that. I am praying. How? Her hair was a curly mess on the top of her head as she ducked under the handbag she held above her head. Her eyes were swollen and red. Still, he noticed the beauty in her as she rushed inside the lobby to shelter from the rain. Her skin was smooth, resembling coffee that had been diluted with milk, and her slim build was complemented with wide hips and bowed legs. Oh, they gone fuck. Okay. Even in her obvious distress, she carried an effortless beauty. They're going to get together. What is she doing here, he thought, as alarm filled him, and he held his breath, her presence ordering him to cease all movement. Her story had headlined the news. Mother loses daughter. Sister loses brother to gun violence. Marks the city's 50th murder. Even if he had missed the story that the media played on the loop, her face matched the face he had seen before. It was an older replica of the little girl that he had stripped from the earth. It was an older replica of the baby that he had murdered because he didn't check before he started shooting through a couch. He stared at the woman walking into his establishment and knew the universe was playing a cruel trick on him. If he had thought he had found respite from his guilt, this face, this woman, was there to destroy all possibility of that. Even if he hadn't been the hidden figure behind the trigger, he would have noticed her. He had learned to ignore the sound of the bell above the door, but she captivated his attention. She was just one of those people, hard to miss, as was the pain in her bloodshot eyes. Sorrow filled him because he was unknowingly disrespecting her space. She was standing mere feet away from the murderer of her child, of her brother, and guilt riddled him like bullets. He was surprised the emotional shots he took didn't cause him to bleed out right there in the body shop. He hurt with her, for her, as if she were his beloved to mourn beside. Ethic had never been so silently remorseful. He was used to righting his wrongs, to remedying things he had broken. 
A real man knew when to apologize and acknowledge his wrong. He felt like a little-ass boy standing there, allowing her to remain in the dark about his actions. There was no way to repair this. There was nothing he could do or say that would lessen her agony. He couldn't speak an apology because to do so would incriminate him. As he blinked, the momentary darkness reminded him of Bella, of Easy, and of Morgan. Each of their faces flashed behind his lids with every blink. They depended on him. To confess his sins would force him to leave his children behind. He just couldn't do it. And felt like the lowest of the low. A coward. A murderer. No admission of guilt would come from his mouth, which meant no apology between them could exist. The air thickened around him, and Ethic wiped his hand on the towel beside him and bypassed her as he walked into the back office. It was time for him to break out. With her there, the distraction he sought was no more. There wasn't one big enough anyway to stop him from seeing blood on his hands. He went to his sink and washed his hands, but as a black grime wrenched down the drain, all he could see was red. Yo, boss, we got a problem out there. Ethic looked up as Redneck Larry peeked into his office. Redneck Larry? Okay. Uh, okay. You can't handle it? Ethic asked. She asked for the owner, Larry said. That's like saying, we got a problem out there. Ethic looked up as Spanish Jose peeked his head into the office. Like, Redneck Larry. I hope he's not the only white boy working there. I hope he's not even a white boy. That would be great if he was, like, Asian. Ethic's throat constricted as he reached for the paper towel to dry his hands. Did she know? Did she have supernatural abilities to detect his guilt? Was her motherhood like an internal compass that helped her find her daughter's offender? Ethic was a man who had faced many things, but this petite woman made him feel like he was a peasant who was preparing to meet the evil queen. How mighty would her wrath be? Logic told him that he had been careful that there was no way she could identify him, you know, except for Nanny. But remorse was a hungry beast, and his conscience was feeding it. Boss? Ethic snapped from his thoughts and stepped out of the office. For some reason, he felt disrespectful, greeting her with grease smeared on his forearms, and the coveralls only half-casing him. His strong chest only covered by the dirty... by the dirty tank top he wore. He looked like a blue-collar worker who made honest money, but as he shook her hand, the softness of his well-manicured hands told a different story. The hair rose on the back of his neck at their brief connection because he knew this was the last hand she would want to grasp. The ball in his throat made him swallow deeply, moving his Adam's apple as he wiped the top of his head, smoothing out his waves. Ethic was nervous. He had crossed many gangsters in his lifetime, none of which had ever made him sweat. This woman made him uneasy, with nothing more than her presence. He felt transparent standing before her. What can I do for you? He asked. Listen, I want to talk to you about giving me a discount on the price of my car being repaired. I, I literally am having the worst week of my life. I'm not trying to give you no sob stories, but my shit is fucked up. My daughter died. My brother died. I'm missing work to plan the funeral. The insurance people on some bullshit. And my car broke down outside the funeral home. I can't afford to fix this car, but I could work it off. Sweep up around here or something. Scrub toilets. Anything. I just really need God to send me an angel right now. Y'all know what I got to do, right? Send me an angel. Send me an angel. Right now. 
right now. That's the whole chorus. They say it twice. Because if one more thing goes wrong, I'm going to lose it. What do you say? She had to laugh at how ridiculous it sounded, but it was all truth. No exaggeration needed. Her life was in shambles. She was in shambles. And as she stood pleading with ethic, she laughed. She gripped her stomach and laughed her as tears came to her eyes. I'm sorry, she said in between laughing fits. This is just so ridiculous. How can life get this bad? I mean, I've been praying and praying and I just find it funny that I'm praying to the same God that allowed this to happen in the first place. Shit's hilarious. Her laughter faded as she planted her face in her hands. She turned away from him in embarrassment. You know what? Never mind, she whispered. She faced him now, taking a deep breath and squaring her defeated shoulders as she cleared her throat. <clears throat> this isn't your problem, and I've never begged for anything in my life. I'll come up with the money. Can you just have it done as soon as possible, she asked. He watched her as she stood in front of him. Her eyes were sad, but challenge lived behind her stare, as if she were determined to survive. Her hand was cocked on one hip, and her face twisted in anger and frustration. Glistens of tears danced in her eyes. Glistens of tears, huh? And she was trying so hard to be strong that her bottom lip quivered. Her vulnerability and sadness were the most exquisite thing Ethic had ever seen. Her femininity was a work of art. She was beauty. A shattered kind that was broken and all over the place but beautiful all the same. He would have obliged her even if he wasn't the one responsible for the havoc in her life. Fix her car, Ethic said as he turned to exit. What's the discount? Redneck Larry asked. It's on the house, Ethic replied. He reached the door and looked back just in time to see her eyes widen in shock and her shoulders slag. Slag? Her shoulders slag slightly. Her shoulders were slagged. Like what? Like slag, you know? Because slag means um, a stony waste matter separated from metals during the smelting or refining of ore or similar material produced by a volcano, scoria. You know, it's, it's like, you know, her shoulders were slagged. It's also a promiscuous woman. A promiscuous woman. Fuck y'all. I can't say that either, I guess. I can. Promiscuous. It was a song. Nelly Furtado. She felt her shoulders slag slightly as if he had physically removed the weight from them. Her burden was visible and palpable. He could feel it. The energy she carried left no room for anything but woe, and he understood, but she was infectious. Seeing his actions affect this woman disturbed ethic. I swear on my life I'll pay you back. I just need a little time. Thank you, she said as she took a step towards him, hands pressed together as if he had answered one of her many prayers. He backed up from her, abruptly pushing the door open with force as he crossed the parking lot to his car. He had to get away from her, out of her reach, out of her sight. He started his car and pulled away from his business in haste. He could see her step out of the building to watch him leave, but he wanted nothing but distance between them. She was a reminder of his greatest sin, and he knew that the irony of her walking into his shop on the rare day that he was present was nothing but God reminding him that he had lost his way. Also, you know, that um, it's wild that he's going to end up paying for the hot, for the funeral bill as well. Chapter 7. The emotions that dwell within the chamber of an 18-year-old girl's heart were so intense. They were like a cosmic force in the universe, spinning and burning and building to an immensity so brilliant that the inevitability of explosion couldn't be avoided.
Morgan sat on her bed, her body sinking into the plush mattress so deeply that it muffled her cries. The gloom of the rainy day matched her somber mood, creating the perfect soundtrack to her melancholy as beads of water slid down the window pane. She felt everything, every emotion, and they hit her all at once, simultaneously torturing her weary young heart. Her need for him attacked her. He hadn't called. He hadn't responded to her texts. She had been torturing herself for days, checking her phone every few moments, only to feel the sting of letdown when his name was never present on her screen. Messiah was MIA, and she felt like she was being detoxed off a drug so strong that without it she would die. He had only given her a taste of his attention, a morsel of his affection, and already she was willing to do anything for more. Young love was potent, like crack to a dope fiend, like relaxed with a new growth, like good dick to a nympho, like chocolate during a menstrual. When you needed it, you needed it. She saw the light in her room flicker on, then off, and she turned to see Ethic standing in the doorway. She sighed. She had wondered when he would speak to her. It had been days and he hadn't uttered one word. His silence was almost worse than any punishment he could come up with. It took a lot to make Ethic mad, but he was brooding. His demeanor filled the house with anxiety as she waited. She was tired of the daddy role. When she was younger, she needed him. She wanted his guidance. She respected his role as patriarch in her life. It was old and stale at 18, however. She wanted the leash removed. She had been walking around on eggshells because his disappointment was like carrying around a heavy weight that only he could relieve her of. If he truly was her father, she would want his approval. But Morgan just wanted him to leave her alone and give her space to become whomever it was she was meant to be, whether it was fucked up or not. What do you want? She signed. Ethic folded his arms over his broad, strong chest. <clears throat> I don't know what to do with you at this point, Morgan. He signed back. I never asked you to do anything. You chose to take me in. You're not my father. Her hands were moving so fast that he knew she was upset. But I'm your family. Family. Oh, I should say this like Vin Diesel, huh? But I'm your family. Family is more than blood. And I want to keep you safe. Masai ain't safe. Choosing to go to the motel with a nigga you didn't know wasn't safe. Someone intentionally hurt you. And there was a price to pay for that. Messiah won't hurt you like that. But he lives a lifestyle that he can't protect you from. If something happens to you because of him, at the hands of him, or anyone who has a problem with him, Ethic paused because he could feel his temper returning. He's not an exception is all that I'm saying. When you hurt, others get hurt. And this time, someone innocent was affected behind bad decisions you made, Morgan, Ethic signed, as his thoughts went to the little girl lying cold in the casket. Did you buy the casket for her, or are you just assuming? You're assuming. Speculation had already spread around the city about the murders. Morgan didn't know exactly what had occurred, but she knew the ethic was behind both Lucas's murder and the little girl whose face had been on nightly news on repeat. Morgan was young, however, and she didn't quite value life in the same way ethic did. That little girl's death is on Lucas. His karma got her killed, she thought. What about my hurt? What about what was taken from me? Morgan signed. He had me pinned against a wall. He was inside me and I couldn't even say no. No one hears me. No one sees me. I'm just, I'm just Benjamin Atkins' pretty, deaf, dumb daughter. Messiah sees me. 
Messiah is no good for you, Ethic replied with sympathy. He pulled a pamphlet out of his back pocket. My position isn't changing about him. I know you feel different and you act out because you want to bop around here like your little friends. Everybody sees you, Morgan. We hear you. I hear you. I believe that there's a queen in there and you're trying to dumb yourself down and be like everybody else. You not being able to hear allows you to look at the world through a different lens. I respect your perspective, Morgan, but I know that everything is harder for you. I know there's a part of you that I can never understand. He handed her the paperwork in his hands. I think you're fine the way you are, but if you want to hear, there's a surgery that can help. I've been considering it for years, and I have the money put up. You're chasing behind Messiah, but I want you chasing your dreams, baby girl. You can go to college. You could do more than flaunt around this town. Flint isn't the kingdom it used to be when your daddy was running things. It's the wild, wild west, and I don't want you caught in the crossfire. Just think about it, and let me know what you decide. Morgan looked down at the paperwork, and when she raised her eyes again, Ethic was gone. For years, she had wished for this. She had never thought it could be possible. But as she sat in her bed and flipped through the pamphlet, tears came to her eyes. Messiah would have called by now if I was normal. I scare him. I scare everybody, she thought. Please don't let this girl get cochlear implants because she wants Messiah. But I know that that's going to be the reason why she does something like that. <sighs> she had always been the girl who got stares. It's because people never saw a girl so pretty, her mother used to tell her. Morgan knew better. The stares were caused by misunderstanding. They were from discomfort. She was the pretty girl who talked with her hands, who had no voice. She was tired of being that person. She knew before she ever read one word of the information that she would go through with the procedure. She hoped the world sounded as beautiful as she imagined it did in her head. But most of all, she hoped Messiah's voice was as deep and strong as she suspected. She wanted to hear him say he wanted her. And even if he didn't, she had to hear her denial of her to believe it. Messiah sat in one of his many cars. He was a collector of sorts. Old schools, foreigns, bikes, he had a thing for speed. It made his adrenaline race. And as he sat inside the big body BMW rolling up, his music knocked so loud from the speakers that he couldn't hear his cronies wisecracking around him. He wasn't much in the mood for flexing, but he couldn't go into hiding. He had to be on the scene, following his normal routine to combat the whispers that he had been the hitter behind Lucas's murder. Niggas went into hiding after they got their hands dirty. Messiah was right there, out in the open, because he bore no guilt and wanted no implications, but his mind was a million miles away. Tupac was the soundtrack to his life as Hail Mary rang out in the night air. The bass was so heavy that it rattled his chest as he nodded his head ever so slightly to the beat. The car wash was packed, and the night sky sparkled with stars as the city's finest pulled into the establishment for the simple purpose of being seen. Women walked by his car with no destination just to give him a glimpse of their assets. They wanted to be chosen, and Messiah knew he had his pick of the litter, but tonight his mood was off. Thoughts of Morgan infiltrated his mind. To his own dismay, she had found her way into a place where no man or woman had ever been to before, his heart. Not even his mother or father occupied space there, but somehow Morgan had broken the lock. He didn't like the distraction. 
when he should have been thinking about his next move, he was zeroed in on a woman, a young one at that. The tender feeling in his chest had him feeling like a sucker. He had seen how loving a woman had brought down the best hustlers over the years. His best friend, Noah, had gotten gunned down for thinking with his heart. Messiah refused to let the same happen to him. Love made men sloppy and unfocused. It was a weakness, and Messiah prided himself on having none. He lived a life of limited attachments because he always wanted to be able to walk away from everything at the drop of the dime. I'm already spending too much time on this, he thought. Messiah saw the thick crowd of people turn to look as a Range Rover entered the parking lot. Messiah knew who it was before the window ever rolled down. Only a few men had made it to foreign status in the city, and only one could cause such a frenzy when he rolled up. Ethic's street resume was extensive, but he moved like a ghost, rarely coming into the city limits and choosing to enjoy his wealth silently, as he masked as a successful businessman. Retirement hadn't subtracted from his legend, however, and as he pulled into the scene, it was like a celebrity had arrived. Ethic pulled directly in front of Messiah's car, blocking him in. He rolled down the window, revealing his stern face. Messiah turned on the music. Let me rap with you for a minute, Ethics baritone announced as Messiah stuck his head out. Messiah knew it was an inevitable conversation. He knew Morgan was like a daughter to Ethic. He also knew he didn't make the cut as acceptable to fit into Morgan's life. Yo, I'll be right back, he said to his squad as he exited and walked around to the pasture side of Ethics whip. He climbed inside and Ethic pulled away. Messiah wasn't fearful of anyone, but Ethic's presence was heavy as silence filled the small space between them. Do I even need to say it? Ethic asked. The authority behind his question was clear. Nah, I got it, Messiah replied. There's a line. She's on the other one. I ain't a bad nigga. You're not good enough for her, Ethic replied with a stern tone that told Messiah that he was truly talking to a man about his daughter. There was nothing contrived or forced about Ethic's love for Morgan. Blood couldn't make them any closer. That's all facts, OG, Messiah responded. She's a special girl. Messiah looked out the window as they spun the block. I have nothing but respect. You taught me a lot. You probably kept me alive over the years. You've given me game when you could have left me to learn it the hard way. I'll keep my distance. No, he won't. It's appreciated, Ethic answered. He popped the locks and Messiah realized they were back at the car wash. That was all the time Ethic had to spare for today. Messiah exited and watched as Ethic pulled away. Ethic had the pipeline to the city sewn up. His trucking business was a legitimate establishment, but when something needed to come in or out, whether it be drugs, money, or both, Ethic ensured safe transport up and down I-75. The auto garage and repair aspect were simply a way for him to employ some of his old partners around the city and give them a legal means to an end. The real money was in what was coming and going out on the semis. If Ethic wanted to, he could ice Messiah out and shut down all his blocks by simply restricting his access to product. Messiah didn't want those problems. It was best to let that go. He walked back to his car to find a swarm with a pack of pretty women as his homeboys entertained. Messiah wasn't in the mood for bullshit, but he knew there was no point in turning down new pussy. He and Morgan was done, before it could even begin. It was something that he would just have to get over. He knew that Morgan was young and naive, no matter how mature she claimed to be. She would be a distraction, and he would be directly going against the big homie if he continued to pursue her. He pulled out his phone to text her and then paused. 
It ain't worth it, he thought. Hey, Messiah. The melody of her voice was laced with thirst, and he glanced up from his screen. Sup, you need something? He asked, slightly irritated. Niche stood before him, looking like a winner amongst the crowd. She was a beautiful girl, and he could tell from the look in her eyes she knew it. He had seen her around, mostly with Morgan. She was young, freshly legal, so she hadn't been worn out around the hood. He knew it was only a matter of time before a young hustler stake claim to her. Just you, she answered. Just me, huh? He answered as he shook his head. Bitches are dirty as hell, he thought. Where you homegirl? He asked, checking her temperature to see if her loyalty to Morgan would stand up. Who? She asked, playing dumb. He smirked because young girls were bad at playing dumb, and he knew the girl before him wasn't playing at all. Morgan, Messiah played along. Oh, I don't know. I don't mess with her like that. We really more like associates. She's a friend of a friend. What are we talking about her, though? I'm trying to talk about us. She pressed hard. Messiah laughed at that. Another quality of young girls was their frankness. They hadn't perfected the art of flirtation yet. There's an us? There could be, she answered with a smile. Messiah had no interest in Niche, but he knew that if he took up with Morgan's friend, Morgan would lose all interest in him. Nigga, what? Like, okay, um, first of all, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Uh, 18-year-old girl is not going to forget about you because you get with her friend. She's going to instead be mad at her friend, who you should also be mad at because she was right there recording and making fun of Morgan when Morgan was being sexually assaulted. But we just pushed the whole assault to the side. Even, I mean... Ethic has not taken her to the hospital for DNA or anything like that. Like, there's no nothing out there, as far as we know. So, I don't know how you're going to think she's going to forget about that. You should be out there trying to set this girl up. So, then one of your girl cousins can rock her or something. Because, you know, you don't put hands on women. That's a rule. But your girl cousins in this circumstance, if you told them what she did, yeah, they probably line up. They probably line up. Messiah knew it wasn't the best way to handle things, but he needed an out. He was afraid of the way he felt when in Morgan's presence. He knew, even with ethics condemnation, it would only be a matter of time before he went after what he wanted. The feeling she gave him was addictive, and he was craving her. He had to make Morgan hate him, because if she wanted him, the attraction would be mutual, and he would risk it all to make her his girl. He had to kill the possibility, and Niche was a perfect scapegoat. I don't know about all that. I ain't really looking for none of that. I'm more of a casual type nigga, he answered. All fun, no strings, he said. He could see the disappointment in her face. She was looking for strings. She wanted to come up, but she would rather take what he was offering than nothing at all. Messiah hopped in his truck. You coming? he asked. Niche jumped on the opportunity without hesitation, climbing into his passenger seat. Messiah rolled down his window to address his crew. Yo, I'm up. Y'all good? He asked. Yeah, we're straight, one of his homeboys replied. Messiah rolled away, with Niche riding shotgun and guilt pressing hard on his conscience. If if I'm being honest with you, I can't respect a 25-year-old man who keeps fucking with 18-year-old girls. If I'm being honest with you. And if you're supposed to be the leader of my group and you have a predilection for these young girls... I might start looking at you sideways. 
Like, Morgan, okay, you could have passed that off as, you know, Ethic is her father, uh, I'm supposed to keep her safe, blah, 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 whoop, whoop, whatever. But then you started falling in love with her and you let niggas know about that. And now they turn around and you're with her friend, another 18-year-old girl, uh, who they saw on video fucking Morgan over. So now it's like, what's up? What 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 are we doing? East ain't gonna pull your coattail to nothing. He ain't gonna say nothing about this shit. I doubt it because there still ain't no real storyline in this fucking book. I'm not reading part two of this book. Y'all can go fuck yourselves and go to the library and do it yourself. You can go to Amazon and buy it, but I'm not doing it. I'm just skipping my happy ass on down the block and act like this never happened. I'm doing this solely for my beloved wife. 916-633-1537. Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify. It takes like 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser. Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcasts. And then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you a ton of content. Uh, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.